to be with you guys. Um, we uh, are excited to be able to actually do large group, to open God's word, to be together in this way. And we've said this uh, every time we've met, whether we're in person or uh, over large group over Zoom, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, I really want you to feel at home and um, and welcome while we're together. And um, RUF is one of the many campus ministries trying to help you love God and love others. And uh, Sermon on the Mount is where we are and the Beatitudes specifically. And these are a list of phrases, y'all, where Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you're X, you're blessed if you're Y. And um, it, it, Jesus is essentially saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what the good life looks like. You hear a lot of voices uh, out in the world and in your own heart on what um, flourishing and human happiness looks like. I'm going to tell you what it means to be blessed. And so last week was blessed are the poor in spirit. And tonight is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That's where we're at tonight. So one of the major disappointments, guys, of uh, of COVID nineteen and its spread is essentially all professional sports, as as you know, are are essentially shutting down, and everyone's very upset about this. I'm very upset about this. Um, the NBA was on a roll. LeBron and the Lakers were uh, really just doing their thing. LeBron was probably going to win an MVP. The Lakers probably were going to win win it all. I was very excited about it. All my baseball friends are also really bummed right now because opening day would have been like last week or the week before. And this is a huge deal in baseball. And we lived in St. Louis and the St. Louis Cardinals were a big deal. And all my Cardinals friends are just really upset. And so ESPN and MLB Network, NBA TV, they're all playing all these old games and also sports movies. And one of the most popular sports movies, if you might, you might have seen this, it's called A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own, and this is from 1992, and it tells the story uh, actually about a, a real-life um, all-girls professional baseball team, and Tom Hanks plays the head coach, and his name is Jimmy Dugan. Jimmy Dugan is Tom Hanks. He's the head coach, the manager of the girls' team, and it's set in the 1940s and 50s. And there's this scene, as Maggie uh, knows where I'm going here, in this, there's this scene where uh, Jimmy Dugan, he's like this former alcoholic, former kind of washed up player. He's a hothead. So he's the coach. And one of his players, one of the, the girls just really makes a mistake and it caught, there's a real error or something goes wrong. She gets off the field and he loses it on her. He completely chews her out. He's spitting. He's like kicking the dirt. He's cursing. He is just so upset. And so she responds with tears in her eyes and she ends up crying. And then eventually she breaks down and has to like go get consoled by her teammates in the dugout. And the famous line that the famous manager, Jimmy Dugan says, and he just says, there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. And this has become like in Tom Hanks acting career, one of the epic Tom Hanks scenes and lines. Um, so Jimmy Dugan says there's no crying in baseball, um, but is, is there crying in the Christian life? Or if there's crying in the Christian life, is it allowed? If, it, if it's allowed, is it a good thing? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, you might have heard um, that tears mean that you're weak. You might have heard that growing up. 
Jesus says, if you mourn, uh, if you are filled with sorrow, if you weep, you are blessed. And not only that, you will be comforted. And that's how, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. That's what Jesus is concerned with, with this particular beatitude. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read the text now. I'm going to read all the beatitudes every single week so we just hear all of them together. I think it's important. And friends, as I've said this every time, this is God's word. God of the Bible is not a God who is silent. He has spoken to us not to give us a book of rules to follow, a theology exam to ace, but he's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord and ask him that he might teach us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for not being silent. Lord, we, um, like my friend Jordan says, we are tired of listening to the world and we're tired of listening to ourselves. And we ask that we would listen to you and we, we long for that. I know I do. But uh, our hearts are restless, our minds are busy. And so, Lord, slow us down that we might be both doers and hearers of your word in Christ's name. Amen. So the game plan tonight in terms of our points, we've got two points as usual. The first one is uh, holy sorrow, holy sorrow. And the second is divine consolation, divine consolation, holy sorrow, divine consolation. Let's do the first one, holy sorrow. Okay, so when Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn, it is, it's, it's natural for us to ask, like, what does it look like to mourn? What kind of, take, what kind of shape does that take? Um, what, is it, what do you mourn in the world? And who are the mourners? What kinds of people do this? And in short, there's, there's a lot of conversation about this. Again, this is a very popular sermon of Jesus, and it's interpreted in all kinds of different ways. But in short, those who mourn are those who express godly sorrow over the brokenness of a sin-sick world. The mourners are those who mourn uh, when they express godly sorrow over the brokenness of a sin-sick world. And so try, rather than trying to act like everything is okay in a fallen world, they're honest about it. They're honest. They don't pretend like everything's okay. They don't pretend to be someone or something they're not. Christians are those who feel the depths of sin of our world, in our lives, in our communities, in our churches. Uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff, uh, I'm going to be quoting from him a couple times tonight in his book called Lament for a Son. He's a theology professor at Yale and at UVA formally, his son died of a, a, a tragic climbing accident in the mountains, and he wrote this book called Lament for a Son, and 
profoundly helpful book to me and uh, highly recommend it to you. And here's what he says. Our photographers tell us to smile. Who then are the mourners? The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with that day's absence. So it's the children of God who say, I, I promise that God's going to make all thing, things new and wipe away all tears. And when, I, when I'm confronted by the sin of my life and the sin of the community, the sin of the world, I ache with tears in my eyes because it's not here yet. That's those who mourn. And Jesus says, if you're there, you're blessed. And Christians are those who see sin, again, in a fallen world, and they feel it deeply with tears in their eyes because the Bible is full of tears. The Bible is full of tears. When we read the Psalms, we are confronted over and over again with David's tears, right? Lament Psalms. In Psalm 42, we read these words from him. Listen to this. Look how dramatic. He's not being... Um, uh, hyperbolic here. I, I think he's being quite literal. My tears have been my food day and night. He's saying all I know when I get up for breakfast and when I go to bed at night have been tears. And another place he says, my pillow is soaked in tears. Have you ever cried? I've asked this before uh, with lament psalms. Have you ever cried so much where your, your pillow is like soaked, where you almost could wring out tears? Have you been there before? If so, Jesus says you're blessed and you're not alone. That's David. When we read uh, the prophets, uh, especially Jeremiah, we encounter a prophet. You know what Jeremiah's nickname is? The weeping prophet. Why was he crying? He saw the sin of Israel when he was prophesying against them and it grieved him deeply and he was crying. When we read the Gospels, we encounter Mary and others who were mourning the death of their dead friend and Messiah, Jesus, and they're weeping and they're crying and they're mourning. We also see the tears of Jesus himself, don't we? When his friend Lazarus died, how, do we, how does he respond? For the, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The Savior weeps. God's people are those who lament, mourn, and ache when we come into direct contact with sin and its effect on our world and our communities, our churches, our campuses, and our own hearts and lives. In the Bible, we see this, that the Bible is full of tears. And I want to, I want to say this. Well, we're going to walk through. Christians are called to, to sort of mourn in two ways. And here's the first one. We're to mourn personally and individually. Christians are called to mourn individually and personally. Um, that's what they're called to do. When the people of God uh, do introspection work on themselves, on their personal lives, they are to mourn. It should grieve them. When you're confronted with sin and brokenness in your life, when you see darkness in your life, you can't be apathetic. You can't. Um, when the Apostle Paul, look at this. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. The Apostle Paul was someone who was deeply grieved by the sin of his life. Um, and <laughs> Romans 7, Paul is grieved by his sin. And what happens, he ends up saying, look, I'm the chief of sinners. That's what he calls himself. And here's what he says in Romans 7. When the Apostle Paul sees his sin, he says, look, I don't understand my actions. 
Have you, have you read this in Paul in Romans 7? He was not some like perfect saint. He was someone deeply grieved by his own sin. He says, I do the very thing that I hate. I, do, I don't do what I want, and I do the things that I don't want to do. He's confronted and grieved by his own sin. This is how Christians are to grieve and mourn. When sons and daughters of the king sense darkness in their life, they're not apathetic. They're not callous. They're grieved and they mourn. And so when you experience the darkness y'all, of a loved one's death in your own personal life, Jesus invites you to not to ignore the pain, but to feel it. Blessed are you, friends, when you mourn over the darkness of your heart, mind, and actions, when you keep your heart soft rather than going from like calloused cruise control of like sin has become normative, sin and death is taking over and there's nothing for me to do about it and God might not keep his word. If your heart is soft and there are tears, uh, either literally or you uh, are just limping because of the shame and sin of your own life and in the world, Jesus says you're blessed. And this is what we see God's people doing. So you, you mourn individually. You also mourn uh, corporately. You mourn corporately. Uh, when, when the realities of sin, sickness, and death show up in the lives of our communities, in our friendships, on our college campuses, uh, in our churches, we grieve and mourn. That's what God's people do. We weep with those who weep, and we mourn with those who mourn. I want to ask it this way. Think about it. Imagine you've had um, a loved one pass away in your life, and I'm sure this has happened to you at some point, and you're at the funeral, because this has happened to me before. And two people come up to you and approach you at separate times. And I'm going to ask, think about this question as I walk through these responses. Which one is more moving or compelling or consoling and helpful to you, okay? Person one comes up to you and they, uh, they come up to you and they just simply say, uh, Susie or Adam, your mom, I loved her and she's in a better place. Your mom's in a better place. Okay, that's option one. Second person comes up a couple uh, seconds later and they say nothing. They simply walk up, they hug you, maybe they don't, and they weep. They weep with you. And they hardly speak. I don't even have to, like, what's more powerful and what's more helpful? We see this dynamic of weeping, uh, uh, this holy sorrow in, in Friday Night Lights, uh, my favorite TV show. And here's, here's when we see it. In this famous TV series about high school football in Texas, uh, one of the main characters is Matt Saracen. He's the, main, he's the quarterback. And Matt Saracen has a broken relationship with his dad. His dad is basically, he's a military guy, and he's basically absent uh, for the majority of his life. And eventually, spoiler alert, his dad dies, and this basically undoes Matt Saracen. And uh, the head coach is Coach Eric Taylor, and Coach Taylor hears about it. Coach Taylor goes over to Saracen's house, and you know what he does? His response to, to, to his players' uh, sadness and, and tears, he actually just goes on a walk with him around the neighborhood. Doesn't say much. He puts his arm around his player, and he walks around the neighborhood, and his player, his quarterback, Matt Saracen, literally just weeps. 
And the the power of Coach Eric Taylor's character in this show, in my opinion, and if you've seen it, you know this to be true. Coach Taylor weeps with his players when they meet weep. He mourns with his players when they mourn. He rejoices with his players when they rejoice. That's the power of his character. You're blessed. According to Jesus, when you see the darkness of sin and death in your own life and those around you and you don't ignore it, you don't stiff arm it, your gut reaction is actually to mourn. Now, let, let's, I want to be honest about this, and, and you know this to be true in your own life. This is extremely challenging to do because, again, we have been ingrained in our Western culture, in our, cult, in our country, and, and certainly in this area of the country, in the Bible Belt, and at Wofford College from what I'm told in sense, is that weakness isn't necessarily seen as strength. Tears aren't seen as something to be praised necessarily. Everything's fine. I'm okay. Right? This is why we put happy faces on and we wear masks which portray self-sufficiency and autonomy and perfection. This is why we keep our social media feeds spotless and perfectly curated. We want to run as far away as possible from lament and mourning. This is, we, this is extremely challenging and stretching for us. I said this, we talked about um, in our Good Friday service at Grace Pres. I gave the homily, and there was this sign that a preacher noted in front of a storefront around Easter time, Easter weekend. And the storefront sign said this, make Easter easy. Make Easter easy. Now, on the one hand, it's a store that's like saying, hey, we have all the products that you need for a good Easter weekend. We've got the baskets. We've got the candy. That's what they were saying. But, uh, but on more of an existential level, it's getting at the reality of like, we want to run away from the pain of the cross. And we want to skip over and go right to Easter Sunday. We don't want Good Friday. We don't want blood and guts and tears and crucifixion. We don't want that. Give me a risen Jesus, not a dehumanized Messiah up on a cross like an insect. That's not what we want. So we want to run away from the tears. And I understand that. But look, Jesus is saying we're blessed when we're there. But he's not doing saying we're blessed when we mourn just for emotionalism's sake. Jesus is saying you're blessed because he's made certain promises. So let's go to the second point. He's made certain promises. Divine consolation. Divine consolation. It's our second second to last point. Again, we celebrated Easter Day a couple, a couple of days ago. And in the gospel story, where are we? Jesus is risen, and he starts interacting with people for the first time, his friends and family. Let me ask you this. How do you think they're doing? How do you think they're doing now in the story? Their best friend, their family member, their Messiah and Savior that they've spent all these days with, who they've devoted their lives to. Many of people have left their vocations and families. They've taken up their cross to see him surprisingly hung up in the air, dehumanized, and stricken, and sorrowful, and he's dead, and they don't know he's alive yet. How do you think that they're doing? Short answer is they're mourning. They're sorrowful. They're not doing great. They're grieving the loss of their friend, and they're a wreck, and Jesus knows that. And so I want to ask this. 
Since they're a wreck, how does Jesus respond to them? How does Jesus respond? To Mary, in, in her fear and grief, he simply calls her by name. He says, Mary, what's going on? I'm here. He calls her by name. She instantly knows it's her Lord. To his disciples, he comes on the scene and eats breakfast with them. Got any eggs and bacon for me? Like we've always done together? To Thomas, grieving with all of his doubt and uncertainty and all of his questions, says, look, Thomas, see my scars? It's really me. You don't have to doubt. I'm going to answer all of your requests specifically. It's really me. You can believe. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted and experience consolation. Only Jesus can say that. Only Jesus can say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, because he's the only one who can bring you real comfort. He's the only one who can say that. Because the, foul, the power of sin and death, which is the cause of all the pain and suffering and mourning in our broken world, have been crushed and swallowed up by the victorious death and resurrection of King Jesus. And so when he says you will be comforted, you can take that to the bank. The empty tomb says so. Only Jesus can say this. So he's not saying just mourn and be like, be like an emo kid. That's not what he's saying. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, blessed when you're mourning because I can wipe away your tears and I promise you I'll do it and only I can do it. The tomb is empty. I'm here. Christians can honestly lament sin and suffering and sadness because we know Jesus will keep his word. That's why. So, no crying in baseball, but yes, crying in the Christian life, and not only that, it's blessed. Jesus is saying, you're really in the kingdom when you look around the world that I've made, this good world. When you experience and see and come in direct contact with sin and suffering and death, and you feel it in your bones, on a cosmic scale with the spread of this virus, you're blessed. When you look at the church and our college campus and see the ways that we are effective, affected collectively right now and you are mourning over that, you're blessed. When you see the sin that you cannot stop doing these habits in your life that is driving you insane and it's still, you're not callous to it yet and you're mournful and heartbroken and your heart is still soft, you're blessed. Absolutely, there's tears in the Christian life and they're actually good so long as we look at the Savior who will wipe them away, because only he can. I, I remarked about this, this Nicholas Walterstorff book, Lament for a Son, and I, I wanna, I'm going to close with this quote again, and I want to read, read this again. I read a part of it at the beginning, and this is, this is the full quote. Again, our photographers tell us to smile. Who then are the mourners? The mourners are those who have caught a glimpse of God's new day, who ache with all their being for that day's coming, and who break out into tears when confronted with its absence. Such people Jesus blesses. He hails them, 
Congratulations. He praises them. He salutes them. And then he gives them the promise that the new day for whose absence they ache will come. They will be comforted. The Stoics of antiquity said, be calm, disengage. Disengage yourself, neither laugh nor weep. Jesus says, be open to the wounds of the world. Listen, y'all, mourn humanity's mourning. Weep over humanity's weeping. Be wounded by humanity's wounds. Be in agony over humanity's agony. But here's what he ends with. But do so in the good cheer that a day of peace is coming. Friends, refuse to be callous to the darkness. Do not be afraid to mourn. Actually, be courageous enough to mourn. But as you do, trust in your Savior who, again, has promised, as we read in the Old Testament, who alone turns our mourning into dancing, where he takes this whole thing into a new heavens and new earth, marriage supper of the Lamb, this endless wedding reception, i.e. this endless party, no more weeping, no more sadness. That's where we're going, and that's the good news. That's why it's blessed. Uh, you're a blessed person if you mourn. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for...